Hey, welcome back to the Comeback Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Connor, and today I have a recurring guest. It is Mr. Nick Cabreos, and we are going to review the popular self-help book from the 1930s, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which has changed the lives of millions. And we are going to dissect chapter one. Now, this book is rich with a lot of insight. So chapter by chapter over the next few weeks, me and Nick are going to talk you through it. How are you, Nick? Welcome. Yo, what's up, man? Hey, before we get started, I want to say really quick shout out to Pablo. The shout out is, is at the beginning of the episode now, so you can't <laughs> say I didn't do it. And you better be listening to this episode, dude, because this is chapter one of the book I've been telling you to read, bro. Okay, anyways. Excellent. Let's, let's have more people listen to these shout outs and take note of this <laughs> piece of literature. How did you find the book? Like, what started you reading it? Was it always on your shelf for a while and then one day you just picked Ooh. it up? Oh my god, this is <laughs> kind of embarrassing, but fuck it. Um, so basically, I started reading the book because I had um I had heard about semen retention and sexual transmutation, uh, previously, and it led me to this book. So basically, I I came to the book just for that reason, and it ended up taking me on this whole crazy ride that made no sense up until like three weeks ago something yeah for sure now there's a lot in here like there's the desire faith auto-suggestion knowledge imagination organized planning decision persistence the mastermind sex transmutation which is chapter 11 the 10th step (laughs) subconscious mind the brain the sixth sense and outwitting the six ghosts of fear before finishing with the devil's workshop so there's a hell of a lot to go through and yeah that's number 11 that's number 11 the sex transmutation so there's a lot to get up until that point it's like pretty much like i opened the book and skipped right to that chapter and read that and then i thought why not read from chapter one and then i i read from chapter one maybe up to chapter seven or eight and i thought it was pre- like really abstract like I, I i got caught off guard by it yeah for sure i w- I have the copy, I don't know if you do, that has been revised, mm. updated. So 2003, it's been revised, updated. Have you got that or have you got the initial? Mm. I might have an older copy. Mine's a PDF file. Right. Ah, that makes sense. Because I'm just like looking throughout it. We're only doing chapter one today. But uh, I was reading chapter two again yesterday to make the notes that I will send to you. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is an example in there. And also Ray Kroc, I think, the guy from McDonald's. And so they're updating it now with because obviously this was written in the 1930s so they're updating it with modern day examples of people who use these principles currently which shows how timeless they are and they still apply regardless of the decade dude and if they update it again let's say in like three four years they will definitely add elon musk to that list yeah absolutely probably bezos as well maybe goggins (laughs) goggins might find his way in (laughs) goggins gates yeah all these guys they're all popping in. I guess let's go down to number one, chapter one, which we've dissected, which is the power of thought. And I'll give you my, I guess my thought, my thought, <laughs> no pun intended, when I first read it, which was, I thought that thoughts were overrated, as in often things happen when you don't think, you're just doing it in the flow. This was my personal opinion. And mm. coming onto this book, where it was, linked in a way that thought was more of a vibration towards a manifestation that gave me I guess a different perspective he uses the example of Barnes and Edison where he turns up to his office and is absolutely 100% convinced in his mind with his thought that he will be 
the business associate of Edison. And that was the the key example he uses in the book of just how powerful your thoughts are as a vibration when you tune it in correctly. Yeah, and also just by logic, you know, like before you create something, you have to visualize it first, right? Let's say like you want to make a chair. Uh, you see it in your mind before you create it physically. It's kind of like, it's like step one of that process. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the key bit because if you can't have that mental model, then the actual thing won't ever come into fruition in reality because the, the, the whole components and the whole structure of it isn't actually there in the mind. So it just shows, you know, the power of getting it crystallized beforehand. Yeah, man, because if you think about it, like visualizing something is like you're, you're creating the target, right? And um, if you don't have a target, how do you hit the target? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like imagine you go play darts and uh, you go shoot the bullseye, but there's, there's no target. So how do you hit it? Yeah, you have to like, <laughs> I don't know, think of what it would be in your mind or something. Yeah, no, it definitely shows the power <laughs> of it. And um, can I ask you this, actually? This links to, I suppose visualization in a manifestation concept uh, often i i'm sure that in books like the secret they will say yeah you only can visualize the good things you can only visualize what you want to happen because if you visualize something negative then that might happen and that can cause a lot of fear for a lot of people when say a negative thought pops into their mind or a scenario that they wouldn't want to have for example during an anxiety episode when you come up with all sorts of negative scenarios and if you keep replaying them in your mind, you might think, I don't want this to happen, but am I manifesting this? What are your thoughts on that? As in your thoughts and the things going through your mind happening in reality for good or for bad? Do you think you should be more inclined to really go for the positive thoughts? What are your views? I would say I can confirm that that is actually real <laughs> with my own experience. Um, I have two examples. And I would say like it's not always that what you think will manifest but at least it will feel like it's real for sure like it will feel real and my, my example for that is like I used to like really miss uh mistrust white people as I thought they were always judging me right and like I could walk into a room full of white people and I just and I would think they're all judging me and it would feel like they were all judging me even though they weren't but to mm. me it felt to me it felt real and i and i just felt like attacked like why am i being judged like this when actually i imagined the whole thing mm. but to me it felt so real yeah apparently the subconscious mind can't tell the difference between the actual event and a vividly imagined experience for example mm. if you're here now thinking about walking down a dark alley late at night in a mysterious city like if you really vividly imagine that your heart will start racing and you'll start getting yeah. a bit agitated looking over your shoulder so it does show the power of it absolutely i'm just thinking more i, I think i was reading about aunt middleton do you know who he is no no i don't cool yeah I'm sas soldier in britain and he's does reality tv now so he's got quite a high public public profile as we speak but he used to talk about the negative visualization as being essential so for example before a mission that they would go on before an operation they'd hold a I think it's a pre-mortem, yeah, pre-mortem of what could go wrong. And they have to really imagine that that happens. So then if they get into that situation, they've already dealt with it. And so I'm, I'm thinking of it from a manifestation concept of like, it's important to do that as in to visualize what goes wrong and then you're more prepared for the situation in case it happens. But are you then attracting the situation to you? Do you know what I mean? Mm, that's a good idea, actually. 
Yeah, right. You can visualize uh, like a bad case scenario happening, but but hold on. In your in your visualization, when when you see that bad scenario happening, if you solve the scenario that you're imagining in your mind, right? If you find a solution to it in your mind, then I would think it's not going to manifest because you already solved it. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I th- yeah, I think the key is to you know get the solution in. Because uh, I don't know if you had it from personal experience, but when you're, say, doing negative visualization, it can be quite tempting to just run, go with the runaway train and get completely sucked into a rabbit hole of chaos rather than actually f- picking out the solution first just to calm <laughs> yeah. it down, you know? It, it can be tempting. Dude, and check this out. When I was first learning how to drive a, a motorbike in, in Saigon, like um, I would be driving, I, I was nervous, right? And I would think, don't drive too close to the sidewalk. And immediately when I thought that, I would start driving into the sidewalk. <laughs> it was <Wow>. like <laughs> so quick, like exactly what I told myself not to do. I was like, I was saying like, don't drive into the sidewalk. And my mind only understood sidewalk. Okay, sidewalk. And I started going towards it. Like, no, 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 no. I said, don't. <laughs> I had to like stop my thinking. Like, no, 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 no. Just restart, restart. <laughs> yeah. Okay, just drive straight. Just go straight. <laughs> I'm sure this comes up in the Napoleon Hill book, but it does in others of the subconscious doesn't understand don't. So if you say, I, I don't want a bad haircut, it gives you a bad haircut. <laughs> if you don't want uh, a rubbish meal at a restaurant, it gives you it because it can only hear, it doesn't see the do or the don't. So you have to say, I have a lovely meal or I drive comfortably in the road and not even mention the sidewalk. Like don't mention the negative aspects. I think that's what manifestation concepts in certain books try and lead you towards. And there's like so many intersections here because if you go into a restaurant saying like, I hope my food doesn't suck, you just gave yourself really high expectations that are not going to be met when the food gets there and you will be disappointed. So you just manifested your own disappointment. Yeah, I heard somewhere that it's when our expectations don't get met is when we end up feeling deflated or miserable for example i think the analogy given i think i've heard this from diary of a ceo to be honest with you uh when a, a billionaire goes to a restaurant and his steak isn't cooked exactly he's absolutely mortified but then in africa say an african village where they're not expecting too much they get a bowl of rice and it's absolute euphoria so it all depends on our expectations to get our happiness yeah man and the things the things that we're talking about right now you will find this mentioned by all of the self-help people um whatever business mindset people they will all agree with this yeah for sure the mindset the expectations and just working that out mm-hmm. yeah the, the next bit that i've got written down from this particular chapter is about barnes's mind when he wires and rewires his new reality i.e edison's business partner for example he was doing the small steps where he was there at the company every single day and he was constantly just thinking of edison's partnership edison's partnership this is the new idea he was basically every day uh, almost linking back to atomic habits just feeding his mind with his new identity where he's putting in his new reality as edison's partner just constantly mm. day after day and after you know after a while your subconscious has to go right yeah well <laughs> that this is your reality it's absolutely there it links to faith and belief which comes up subsequently that it has no choice but then to unfold in the physical realm because it's so wired and rewired in the brain like rewiring a computer and what's cool is that edison also understood this mindset because when edison meets barnes and he sees the look in his eyes he says like when someone has that look in their eyes, they don't give up until they get what they wanted. So, okay, come be my business partner. Show me what you got. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the good thing is he didn't, for example, he could have looked at the look, for example, and gone, okay, yeah, he's the business partner, but he made him work for it. And it wasn't a problem for Barnes to work for it because he was already convinced it was his. So he didn't mind. He didn't get frustrated when it didn't happen there and then. He knew it was happening at some point. So he was very comfortable in the process. Yeah. And what's cool about that story is that Barnes, like, it's like he already knew about this, like, before he set out to go meet Edison, right? It's not like he, like, went to go meet Edison and then along the way, he was like, oh, yeah, I have faith now. Like, he had it from the beginning. And I wish they would say where he learned that, but they haven't gone into that. I guess that's yeah. up for us to research. Yeah, true. That's yeah, that's a bit frustrating actually. Like he has to have it at some point. There has to be some reference point for faith, whether he be, let's just say, completely broke or completely on the other side of the country, but he still has the unwavering faith and desire to go and be Edison's associate. So therefore he just goes out and absolutely does it. It's the I think it's burning desire is the phrase that keeps coming up, which links to obsession. And then he talks about, you know when you are that obsessed it is going to happen and so therefore you know it's 100 percent belief which to be honest with you i i like that phrase um well, not that phrase sorry that concept of having a burning desire obsession but there's a small part of me and i'll ask you what you think of this that thinks is it good to be completely and utterly obsessed like should there be room for a plan b in case it goes wrong or is it the case of being so convinced it's going right that it will what are your thoughts on that? That's a good question, man. You got, I, I, would, want I, to I be, understand uh, what he means, but there's a bit of me that's slightly, slightly skeptical. I'd say. I feel like maybe obsession is like, is too heavy of a word, possibly. Hmm. But yeah, then but, again, hmm. do you think do you think Putin is obsessed with taking Ukraine? Do you think Elon Musk is obsessed with getting to Mars? Yeah. I think so too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I paused for a moment and thought, I can't possibly say no to either of those questions. Yeah. And I guess it's how you use it, where if you look at, say, an example of probably Henry Ford, he keeps coming up in the book, uh, the Wright brothers as well. Like, thank God they were obsessed because they gave us, you know, incredible inventions. But then you look at other people. I think that's probably why I use it when I look at people like, say, Putin, and I think, is it good that he's obsessed? Like, you know what I mean? Like, obsession should be regulated. Yeah, it, it looks like when the obsession part kicks in, that's exactly when the sexual transmutation also kicks in. Mm. Those go together because you can't be, like, kind of so, so into it and then, and then you can redirect your sex drive, right? Like, you have to be completely all in, like, willing to die for it. Right, yeah, and that's the thing that it came, it comes up in chapter two. But I'll say I was going to say it for then, but now it's we're, we're leading on to it, so I might as well say it. Uh, when I'm thinking of obsession, I'm thinking of people, say perhaps who genuinely believe that say unicorns exist, or uh, say conspiracy theorists that COVID's a hoax, mm. etc. And they will be obsessed with that. And I'm thinking, is that a healthy obsession? And it's getting me a bit, I guess a bit, yeah, I think slightly slightly confused i'd say on the topic of obsession the word obsession right. itself i'm not sure if it's a good or a bad thing and i've analyzed my own life related to that word and thought was that a good thing or not because it it doesn't allow room for flexibility because by the very nature you have to be focused on the goal to get the success that you want so i'm a bit confused about the word obsession say related to the burning desire here where it's 
I think the example he mentions, or perhaps this is in the subsequent chapter, is about creating a new a new planet, a new cosmos. And he was absolutely obsessed. But then you can get somebody nowadays who is absolutely obsessed and convinced that COVID is a hoax. And you think, mm. how do you regulate obsession? Because by its very word, you can't. It's a tricky one. What are your thoughts? So check this out. So like from what you've said, yeah, you've said obsession in two different scenarios. But if you think about it, there are two very different scenarios. Because let's say the example of flat earth. Someone is obsessed that the earth is flat, right? Mm that like obsession in in that context just means they're attached to a belief right they're, they're not going anywhere they're just attached to a belief and then we can label that as obsessed because they you can't convince them that the earth is, is round they're they're just completely attached to a belief right and now now let's go over to um elon musk he's totally obsessed with getting to mars but in in this context obsession means that He's willing to die to get from point A to point Z. He's trying to get somewhere. It's not right. about believing Mar- Mars is red or Mars is purple. It's like he's trying to, his obsession is to get from one point to another. And that he's willing right. to die to get to get to that point. That's an excellent distinction. It's about, um, just so I've got this right, uh, say the the Musk example is about actually achieving a goal, whilst the uh, flat Earth example could be more linked towards just a belief, just a sheer belief. Exactly, it's just like I'm right. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's the guy with with a coffee mug, like changed my mind, right? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I forgot his name. The guy who goes around like to campuses and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I've not actually. No, thank you for that because it's never really. I've never. It's never really occurred to me that it's a belief versus a an actual vision, shall we say, a purpose. Because what I'm thinking is, if you were to say, have Musk on Mars, which may happen one day, that's that's a goal that's been there. And you have to look at why he's doing it, but you'd have to look at like the bigger picture. But then for the, say, flat Earth, the only goal you'd get, say, if if suddenly like we found out the world was flat, all they would do is go, ha, oh, I told you so. And that's that's it. Like, it's just the ego. <laughs> it, that is literally just the ego. Whilst, exactly. Yeah. Whilst if you look at a Musk example, it's more of a, I guess there's a bigger picture, more of a, a human endeavor, uh, changing humanity. Yeah, there's definitely something to it rather than just, hey, look at me, I'm right. <laughs> yeah, it's more like I want to see what I'm made of or, or um, I want to see if this visualization really works. Right? It's like experimenting. <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> no thank you for sharing that man and the next bit i have here is about um it's about humility because i believe uh, there's another example mr darby who has a lesson in humility from a child where um, I'll, I'll just get the story up i think it's um there's a child who comes in and tells him something yeah you know the, oh my mummy sends give her 50 cents and he does it and he realizes <laughs> despite all the success, say, quote unquote, that he's had over 30 years as a life insurance salesman, he was, I guess, in his mind, outwitted by a child. So then he got that almost knowing that he can learn from anybody. All right. Yeah. And to yeah. put into context, in that story, uh, the grown man uh, was like a, a white dude in, uh, I don't know what year this is in America, but they weren't, wait, uh, I don't know if there were slaves at that time or not um maybe not but still anyways this is a long time ago where civil rights was not a thing right and uh 
a little kid, an African-American kid tells a grown white man like to give her the money in such a way that he can't deny her and he has to give it to her. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, excellent. That's definitely got it contextualized. Yeah, that's probably why the story was so significant because in my, that's the, the thought I had of, oh, it's a child versus say a quote unquote, a, a man who's achieved success as an adult but of, yeah of course there's obviously a, a whole different context of say slavery like an, another yeah. extra weight to yes. how significant that kid's action was absolutely yeah because you could look at it as just a few words but the actual you know the whole context of the situation shows it and yeah definitely that kind of teaches the concept of humility and looking for change and what i also have noted down is i can't remember if this is barnes or if this is Derby, but it is seeking expert counsel, which means that even if you are perhaps completely obsessed with your goal, you still need to have people around you to assist you. For example, people who've been there and done similar before, like I guess Barnes was looking for it in Edison. So seeking expert counsel shows, you know, the, the lack of complacency and the desire to ask for help. Yeah, right. Yeah. You have to be humble enough to tell somebody, I don't know this. Can you help me? And that can be quite go, difficult. If you go full of ego, right? If you go full of ego, you'd be like, I want to ask him for shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can say, for example, visualize yourself at the end goal and be like, well, I'm Edison's business associate. I don't need help off this guy. But then uh, at this current moment, you know, you, you could do with a bit of assistance. So it's almost a slight paradox in ways, but it's important to blend the two. This is a good thing for also for me to hear because uh, in my next project, right, um, I have to be unafraid to ask for help because even though I, I am visualizing what I want it doesn't mean that um, I shouldn't ask for help <laughs> can I ask you what this project is or is it under wraps for now it, no it's, it's the coffee shop oh of yeah. course yeah yeah. I, oh, yeah I can I can like I can already see myself inside of the coffee shop as the owner so like I feel it it's already coming towards me I I honestly feel that but at right. the same time at the same time I have to be humble enough to ask people for help when I do need it because I will need it at some point. It's not like I'm going to fucking like know all of the answers just because I can visualize it. Mm, yeah, I'm absolutely the same. Like my projects that I have coming up are all to do with writing, both in journalistic sense and then I guess as a novelist. And so to do that, I'll have to almost face my ego, except that <laughs> the criticism I get will be constructive and it will be for my best interests. And also, mm -hmm. yeah, except that I don't know anything yet. Well, not anything, but I don't know everything, shall we say. So it's a tricky right. one, right? <laughs> like asking for help and suspending your ego in that moment. It can be quite tricky, but I guess it's essential. One, one good thing that can help you ask for help is to uh, get a new job in something you've never done before. And for me, that was Starbucks, right? Like I went into Starbucks to work there um not knowing anything about like coffee shop uh business and i had to ask for help consistently for like maybe a month and, and even even again after that sometimes but like i had to get in the habit of consistently saying like i don't know what i'm doing can you help me yeah and it's that really uncomfortable feeling isn't it when you know you don't know what and you have to like suspend the ego i've been there before in jobs and other environments where i've thought oh no i don't know anything and i kind of want to just show it off and show that i'm sharing initiative but sometimes i need the assistance and i i was talking recently with uh on a podcast that i was on the in full effect podcast here in vietnam 
And we spoke about asking for help is actually taking responsibility rather than say shrugging it off as if you know everything and then being exposed later down the line. You might as well save that embarrassment and just get the help as soon as you can. Yeah, just get it over with because you're gonna need that help later anyways. Yeah, exactly. So just <laughs> simplify just the process. Get it over with. Yeah, speed it up and, and boom. then when and then when people will see like you ask for help and then you understand what they said and you fix your error and you keep doing that consistently people will see like okay this guy's actually learning and mm-hmm. then at, at some point you don't need their help anymore and you can just manage yourself exactly yeah and they'll probably feel better as a teacher well they'll see that the lessons that they've given you have applied and you put them into practice and thought oh i'm a good teacher and then they'll feel they'll feel i guess this is usually i can't say this for everyone they'll i guess i guess like vindicated the fact that you've come to them asked for help then applied it they'll feel you know empowered as a result i suppose success conscious which means for me this is my definition having the courage to surround yourself with elements of success even the small things like the language you use the content you consume and the influences that you emulate so for example the people around you like what sort of language are they using if they use the words can't or don't or difficult or a struggle even in like small situations that will then transmute into the bigger things so it's important to even you know have the language that you use on a daily basis nailed out completely to what you want to achieve even the small details matter yep totally agree man um like for me um in vietnam you know like my, my group of friends like you Juan, calvis toro everybody that whole group i felt like that was like that group that we empowered the hell out of each other and um, if anybody was going down, we would bring them back up, right? Like that, that was our crew. Absolutely. Um, here, here in my hometown in Virginia, I don't have that. Um, right. There's a, there's a few people, like got my dad and my brother. It's about it. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we will go more into this, I guess, in depth on our Virginia episode, which will be in a few weeks time. But I think like what we've alluded to there is the support system and i guess we have that in place by actually dissecting this book which i know you organized and kind of arranged but there's like quite a few people now in a community all learning the same principles that we are through this book and that mm-hmm. is empowering as a success conscious success conscious mindset for a huge group of people yeah so yeah let's see what happens because this is new for these people and um mm. Hopefully they can be humble enough to, to see when they are wrong, right? And not take it personally. Yeah. But also it's out of my, it's out of my control how mature they are. Some people might drop, some people might not even try. So I have to be, yeah, I have to be ready for that. I, I had to learn that the hard way, you know, where I would give people like the tools in my mind. I'd go, you do this and you will achieve, you'll do this and you will achieve. And I would get frustrated when they didn't. But now um, I was actually having a mm. chat yesterday with a lady whose podcast I will release soon. Who mentioned that you can't force people. They will do it when they are ready and the intrinsic motivation will take them there. And that was a bit of a pill for me as well. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, man. It's so true. Like you, and even if you think you gave them the tools, the, what it, Funny thing, like I, I read this recently in the book uh, Siddhartha by mm. Herman Hesse, and um, in there it says like, you can teach people knowledge, but you can't teach them wisdom. Like if if they're not ready to receive that wisdom, it will just sound like like something stupid. Yeah, it makes no sense. Yeah, it'll go in one ear out the other straight away. Yeah, <laughs> and you for, really for example, like for example, I can tell you the the secret to 
to think and grow rich right now, I can tell to you right now and it might not make any sense. And then you'll be like, that's bullshit, man. And, and maybe by accident, I just pushed you away from it. Mm, yeah, yeah, exactly. You have to be very careful in like when you feed the knowledge. I think it relates to teaching, I suppose. Like you should guide the student, but not give them the answer because it's the only the answer from your perspective, whilst it would be yeah. much more efficient and effective if they figured out their own meaning from their own perspective, from their own consciousness. It's like, it, um, let's flip for a second to non-dualism because for anyways, this book is the intersection of psychology and spirituality anyways. So like, imagine you're a, a Zen master and you just go around telling everybody what enlightenment is. Nobody will believe you. And you probably just push them away from it. Yeah, that's absolutely. why this is why like Zen masters and all this stuff, they, they say like, they only point their finger at a direction that you might want to look into, but, but they can't go in there and bring you the wisdom and put it in your face because it won't make any sense. Mm -hmm. all, all they can do is point the finger and be like, have you thought about checking this out? And that's it. Yeah. I used to think that say, uh, this links to the God concept that I studied in religion in school, because it's what we were given of being omnipotent, omniscient, omnibenevolent, all good, all powerful, all knowing. And I thought, well, if you're all good, all powerful and all knowing, just give us the answers, but you make complete sense in what you're saying there, that the answers do not make sense necessarily, unless you are willing to receive them. <laughs> right. Like just existence itself is so abstract. Like if somebody tells you right now, what is the meaning of whatever? What is the meaning of the universe? It's this. It's like, it makes no sense, dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> I have to be wise enough to receive that. And actually, I can't even receive that. I have to go get it myself. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's being just like cautious and aware that, say, for example, your understanding might be just in a different place for perhaps others and being humble enough to acknowledge that and move towards it at your own pace rather than perhaps being... I guess way down by a guide where one thing that's hit me as we're discussing it here, I'm not sure if it comes up in the book, but we'll see in the next few weeks is about say worshiping false gods, like being, I guess, being so trapped by a belief or attached to a belief or a God or a human or anyone and worshiping them rather than understanding that, you know, it, they might not be like the guru, shall we say, like, I don't like the concept of guru because everybody has their own flaws, etc. And I feel like it can be dangerous to be attached to a specific individual that you worship. Right. This is why you worship the pattern. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It doesn't matter who necessarily is the catalyst for it or whatever. It's just <laughs> a set of ideals, a set of thoughts, collections, a set of wisdom that you don't have to, I don't know, spend your time worshiping. Because when, when you think about it, here, look, here's the intersection, right? The pattern can be, can ex express itself through a, an old Zen master. Sure. It can also express itself through a young African-American kid in the 1700s. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I think this book is littered with loads of examples. Like perhaps that young, that young child who, um, asked for the money off Derby. Well, I say asked, <laughs> got the money off Derby. Like perhaps she demonstrate the pattern and she was in a completely different environment than what the pattern i guess would flourish usually yeah right it's like i'm not saying she's enlightened i'm just saying that in that in that one action that she did the pattern expressed itself through her yeah absolutely and i guess it's different like she, for everyone. Like she, she didn't even ask for the money she demanded it yeah yeah exactly and i guess she was completely and utterly there like she wasn't not getting the money like demanding the money the money was hers 
and she knew the money was hers, even despite her brain being slight, much younger than say the man or a lot of other people who like embody the pattern. She still got it. So it goes to show it's subjective. Like she demanded the money from someone who was older and someone who thought, who saw himself as superior to her. Exactly. She, demand, she demanded something from him and he gave it to her. Yeah, I find that empowering. I find that empowering when perhaps somebody in that realm who might be, let's say, by society standard, oppressed or put under tr- treatments and conditions that aren't suitable in any way, yet they still do it anyway. It's like things were difficult, but I did it anyway. I find that extremely empowering. Right, like uh, then you can think about Frederick Douglass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I still, yeah, I still need to read more about him, to be honest with you. We had the chat back in August time or so about his, yeah. his work and I did not read it. So maybe I wasn't ready at that point. <laughs> it might be a few weeks. I'll go, Nick, check this book. And he'll go, yeah, I told you. But <laughs> who knows? Dude, yeah, because imagine someone who was born into slavery, but at some point in his life, he visualizes himself as free and he no longer accepts that he's a slave. That's extraordinary. That just shows the power, I guess, the subconscious, which is, I suppose, one of the main points Hill tries to make throughout the entire book of just, you know, he, he does it actually in chapter two, which we'll discuss next week about his, his son who is deaf, who's like, no, I'm not accepting that. This is the reality I'm going to have. And I'm going to put everything into crystallizing it. Yeah. And even think about anything in, like, in your life that you've done, like when you were really determined to do something and then you made it happen, whatever that was, you can, I'm sure you'll find some stuff in there, like going to Vietnam. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Going to Vietnam, starting a podcast, getting certain guests on my podcasts. I remember exactly. like, being influenced by Alistair Campbell, uh, Tony Blair's ex-director of communications and strategy. We spoke. He spoke a lot about mental health in a slightly different capacity than I was aware of. So I consumed a lot of his content and really enjoyed it. And then I was like, I'm going to get him on my podcast one day. I got him a month later. It was extraordinary. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's there you go. an example. Yeah. Uh, The next one that I'm going to move to is, I guess, about habit forming, where he uses a Steven Spielberg example in the modern Steven Spielberg. There we go. (laughs) He uses that example in the modern edition where he'll talk about the importance of small details, where he'll say that Spielberg in, say, the movie theaters or the studios he was working in, he would come back and he would every single day wire and rewire his brain that he's a director he'd be around the place he'd be sensing the room he'd be using his thoughts feelings and emotions to put himself in that room of a movie director which is therefore embodying his dream and desire so Steelberg's visualization right like if <laughs> let's let's imagine how he visualized it for a second so let's say you're steven spielberg you want to visualize yourself being the director, but you would visualize every little detail, what the room looks like, what the light looks like, what your set, like what the set is like, who's working with you, what food you're serving, (laughs) how does your coffee smell, like every little detail. So you can already feel it. So it's not like something strange, right? It's like something normal. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do with, with my project. I can already see myself in my coffee shop. I can see the tables, the chairs, the people there. I can hear the music playing. I can feel myself wearing my apron, my hat. Like, I can feel it, dude. It's the same thing. I'm, sh- I'm sure, to be honest with you, when I look back at, say, my school years, when I was really young, I used to, like, visualize what it'd be like in exams and what sort of questions would come up and how I would react to them. And sometimes it worked, to be honest with you. <laughs> like, the ones oh, right. I probably spent more time on. I remember once uh, I was really struggling 
revising my science and i thought right I, I hope the question comes up on this topic like which will say measles mumps rubella because i know it straight away and then boom <laughs> hey presto first page i was like yes guaranteed three marks <laughs> so you'll see like when, now when you think back about your life experiences you'll find <laughs> examples of all this stuff actually happening yeah exactly yeah like things make so much sense in retrospect and that's when you can connect the dots it, it definitely like yeah. Really, yeah to be honest this whole thing about spielberg and also success conscious it makes me think of like a modern i guess i don't want to use the word modern day classic but a modern book that is often heralded as being a very good one and i really enjoy it it's atomic habits which means about you know really paying mm -hmm. attention to all of the small details and building the habits where for example spielberg didn't direct his biggest hits let's say in a day but he did the little things like go to the studio and assess the light in a certain room on day one on monday then on tuesday would assess what sort of lines needed to be done for the next set and thought of the scene idea for the next one like it was a step-by-step -step process it was absolutely tiny so therefore you know it's, it, it's not it's like the phrase rome wasn't built in a day but all the small incremental steps were right now think about elon like elon can already he can already see a spacex shuttle landing in mars with people on it right he can already visualize that like how he's going to do that that's going to reveal itself along the process but the thing is he can already visualize his uh, his target yeah absolutely it's almost like knowing the what uh, and perhaps knowing the when that comes up in chapter two knowing the what and the when but the how isn't necessary because the universe works in such mysterious ways and i think and now let's go back to was it it was barnes right barnes the guy that worked at edison yes it was barnes barnes could already visualize himself being edison's partner but the rest of it the rest of the whole process just figured itself out like how he's going to do that it, he figured that out along the way but he already knew what he wanted and he had complete faith that it was going to happen yeah and to be honest with you if he knew the how it would be a bit boring because often exactly. you know, <laughs> the best things happen when you think what i never saw that and there'll be like a little weird like trap door on the side that reveals you know the key and you think what the thank god that, yeah and you look back and think that was the best thing that could have happened but you could have never predicted it so many examples i'm i'm here with that i'm thinking of like my favorite sports teams like i know this is a trivial example compared to say like spielberg etc but like manchester united winning the champions league with two goals in stoppage time that just could never to win the treble that just could never have you know happened so it's just extraordinary how it all came about think about Mourinho winning the champions league with porto yeah yeah that was that was a huge one even to this day that still doesn't get talked about enough as what an extraordinary achievement it was when the, the entire time he he hyped up his team to like to want to play against the best teams yep yep there's the example <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we've discussed it before of when they before the draw was made for the round of 16 he had the whole group the whole group hyped up it's like we want manchester united and back at back in the day they were amazing and he's like we want manchester united right. and they're all there and they got manchester united and they celebrated as if they won the tournament because they were playing Manchester United. Just imagine having that faith that you were going to go and beat Manchester United at that point. And they did. And then they went on to win the thing. Right. It's like, imagine after you beat, like if you're Mourinho with Porto and you beat Manchester United, then it's like, why not visualize the cup? Why yeah. not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when I, when I look at like the best coaches, like the, say the 2000s, 2010s version of Mourinho, uh, Ferguson over the years, uh, Guardiola, Klopp, I think, wow, yeah, they just really did know their vision and they put it across to the team and perhaps their unwavering faith 
was so crucial mm. to it where the, the rest of the players couldn't help but visualize the cup themselves because the manager set the tone that they were going to win it it was theirs so you might as well think about it too and join the ride it's like imagine if like everything seems to be going wrong and and the leader of your team is is grinning yeah and, he, and he's not <laughs> and he's not freaked out yep <laughs> then that everybody's reminds, like why yeah. the fuck is he so calm <laughs> that, that reminds me of you the Liverpool manager he's like well known for just constantly smiling on the touchline uh, getting the crowd geared up and the whole I guess club ethos and the whole reason they've been so successful the last few years it comes down to him just seeing his his leadership style it can't help but get people galvanized I'm a United fan and you know staunch rivals but I'm jealous like if I was if he was managing my team I'd be behind it he's an amazing coach he's incredible yeah and I suppose we're coming to like the summary part where we've discussed the examples of, say, Spielberg, Barnes, Edison, Derby, success consciousness. Uh, what are your main takeaways, I guess, from chapter one, Nick? I know that might be pretty tricky, but what are your main thoughts? My main one is that I had it ready, actually. My main one is this. Um, after he finishes telling the Barnes story, right, in, in the book, it says exactly this. If the significance of this statement could be conveyed to every person who reads it, there would be no need for the remainder of this book. So if you really get the barn story, like if you really like, if you really get it, then you don't even need the rest of the book. It's all, it's all there in chapter one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all there about your thoughts, putting it on a vibration do get you to the point however like i do agree with that and i see exactly what you mean but it makes me want to read the rest of the book yeah yeah why not why not <laughs> yeah and, I, I guess and, that's also the it, point like if the story like if if chapter one doesn't convince you yet um that means that the part that's lacking is faith right how how did they stay so calm how does jurgen klopp stay so calm how does how, why is Elon Musk not shitting himself? <laughs> how was Barnes so convinced that he was going to work with Thomas Edison? Right? Faith, the crucial component. And the thing is, how? How do you get that kind of faith? And I read chapter three of this book, and he's talking about auto suggestion and stuff. Um, but it, it's it, it's something deeper than that, right? This is this is the part where the intersection of spirituality really begins yeah and and it's like that is the that is like a crucial element for this thing to work for this book to work because if you don't have the faith it's not going to work absolutely and we'll get more into auto suggestion and desire as the book episodes keep going but i've really enjoyed this first chapter and i like i've enjoyed dissecting it with you and taking away the insights and even bringing in things that i wouldn't previously be aware of like i wouldn't think how to compare say jürgen klopp to barnes and edison say almost 100 years apart but we found a way and also distinguishing between being attached to a belief and being attached to a purpose vision goal that was dissected small habits success consciousness the paradox of obsession burning desire and i think we're going to have a lot of fun with these episodes over the next few weeks and also dissecting in our little mastermind group thanks very much nick and i look forward to the next one thanks man see you next time